On the outskirts of Monterrey, Mexico, every drop of water counts. A drought has drained the reservoirs that provide most of the water for the 5 million residents who live around the financial capital of northern Mexico. The crisis has sparked widespread upheaval. Anger is mounting at government officials who allow the region's thousands of factories to pull water from the strained aquifer via private wells. Experts say the crisis unfolding here is a stark warning for the rest of Mexico, as well as the American West. I'm Gustavo Arellano. You're listening to The Times, daily news from the LA Times. It's Thursday, July 28th, 2022. Today, a dispatch from a parched present and an even thirstier future. Joining us to talk about this is LA Times foreign correspondent Kate Lindicum. Kate, welcome to Times. It's great to be here. What are Monterey's residents experiencing right now? So the majority of people in Monterey only have water for a few hours a day in the morning. The rest of the time, their taps are running dry. But then there are really big sections of the city, particularly the areas kind of on the periphery, kind of farther out, where there's no water at all. Some of these neighborhoods have not had water for a few weeks. Others have gone a few days to bathe, to cook, to clean. They are relying either on like bottled water that they buy from stores or water that's being trucked in by the government. Or occasionally there are these wells in parks that they can access. So it's people basically carrying water to their houses in buckets, kind of like the olden days. The people I talk to are really desperate. They're really exhausted. They have jobs, have families, and then on top of all of that, have to spend hours a day figuring out how they're going to procure water to cook dinner or to flush their toilets. So it's a really a point of just total despair. I spoke to one man from the town of Garcia, who had been without water for days. He had come to this local dam to try to escape just the exhaustion of dealing with the water. He goes there with friends to fish. But once he got to the dam, he realized it was empty because it's one of the dams that feeds Monterrey. So he and his friend kind of stood there at the bottom of this mostly empty reservoir, you know, trying to find fish. He was quite frustrated and honestly filled with despair. Has there been any protests yet or anything like that? Yeah, there have been a ton of protests. It's ranged from people basically blocking highways, blocking access to factories, upriver where Monterey is trying to basically pipe water from to get to the city. We're seeing like farmers and others who are protesting that because they don't want to share their water with this city that is run out. And then in Monterey itself, we're seeing daily protests of people storming highways, blocking access to roads. And what they're demanding is that the city 
provide them, the residents, with water. And they are angry particularly at industry, which has largely continued to function as normal because they have access to these private wells and they want that water to be shared with the people of Monterrey. Hearing you say all of this about Monterrey is surprising because when I think of the city, you know, I always remember how even in Mexico, people think of it as more like a, a suburb of the United States because it's such a rich city. It's so modern compared to the other big cities in Mexico. And even the people there kind of view themselves as different, you know, quote unquote, better than the rest of Mexico. Yeah, absolutely. Monterrey is one of the wealthiest cities in Mexico. It's the second largest. It's two hours from the Texas border. It's filled with these really high-quality factories that produce Mercedes buses and Caterpillar tractors and steel and beer and soda and all of these things for American consumers. It's been a draw for people for years because of that, because there are really well-paying jobs compared to other parts of the country. So it's been just this like motor of industry in the country. And yet for years, it seems like officials have been ignoring this obvious fact that if you have a population that's growing three times in just 40 years, that you really need to make sure you have kind of the right supply of water for them and the right system to distribute it. There's also this history there of these really wealthy kind of industrialists who've long controlled the city, sitting on the planning commission, sitting on the water and drain boards, and basically making sure that wealthier neighborhoods and factories were receiving more investments in water infrastructure, while the poorer neighborhoods really weren't benefiting from that same investment. So you have this huge boom of people and you have the system of water distribution that is just totally not up to speed. Yeah. How did Monterrey get into this bad water situation? So Monterrey lies kind of at the tail end of the Rio Grande River Basin, which starts up in the Rockies in Colorado and flows through several U.S. states and several Mexican states. It's this area that's semi-arid, kind of desert. Monterrey itself is a bit of an oasis, but it's a very dry, hot place. Over the last few years, as Monterrey has been hit with this drought that has really pummeled much of northern Mexico and also the southwestern United States. So the same drought that's hitting California and Arizona and New Mexico is also affecting the amount of water that's available in Monterrey. There are three dams that have been constructed over the years basically around and in that basin that provide the water for Monterrey proper. And those dams have basically nearly completely drained. So they're right now scrambling really to find new sources of water, which as we know is never an easy thing. So there's conflict with other states, there's conflict with industry, there's a lot of conflict right now over water. We'll be right back. So, Kate, if Monterrey officials had long ignored how the city was getting its water and how precarious the whole situation was, especially being in a naturally dry area, how are they dealing with the crisis now? So they are obviously reducing the water that they actually distribute to houses in the hopes that they can save what little water remains in the reservoirs. 
to wait out these really hot summer months so that in September, when, say, a hurricane blows through the Gulf Coast and Monterrey gets a lot of rain, those reservoirs can fill up, hopefully, and replenish the system. They're also exploring, you know, new options. Some of the things they're considering are the building of a new dam. One is already under construction. They are, are planning probably a second one. They're looking at water recycling techniques. They're drilling new wells, which is kind of a short-sighted solution, a lot of water experts say, because the aquifer beneath the city is already very overexploited. So there's not a ton of water there. Right now, they're kind of just desperately trying to think of more water resources. But the fact is, it takes like five years to build a dam. So there's no real immediate solution for Monterrey. And it's very possible that in the coming years, every summer when it gets really hot, when water starts draining from these dams, we're going to be in a, the same situation. Are these businesses that are getting all of this water, like, what's their response to the crisis? So businesses have been under a lot of pressure from the government, particularly the federal government, to do more. Andres Manuel López Obrador, the president, AMLO, he is really going after them. He's someone who's been very critical of kind of corporations, which he's described as greedy in the past. So for him, this is almost becoming like a political issue. He's basically threatened to shut down these factories if they don't start giving more water immediately. And already some of these plants are helping. You know, there's a major steel plant here that's giving like 40 gallons a second from its well to the city's water system. The Heineken plant is drilling a new well. Pepsi's donated tons and tons of bottled water. An interesting kind of scene we came upon is the Topo Chico factory, which is where all of the Topo Chico water comes from. It's at the foot of this craggy mountain here in the middle of Monterrey City. And it's long had these public, basically, water taps where residents can fill up jugs with drinkable water outside of the plant. But now people are coming from all over the city, waiting in line for hours to fill up jugs of water to use for really basic necessities like bathing. So people in Monterrey are now like bathing and cleaning their laundry with Topo Chico water. We had you on The Times last year to talk about the bad drought in Sonora, which is also in northern Mexico, but in the western part. And you mentioned that Monterrey's situation is connected to the drought in California, the drought in Arizona, basically the American Southwest and northern Mexico. So what's the current climate situation then? Climate change has increased the frequency and severity of the La Nina weather pattern. And what that does basically it results in like more intense droughts precisely in northern Mexico and the southwest of the U.S. So we're expecting to see more of this, you know, to see more intense, longer, hotter droughts in these regions. And as you know, like a lot of cities in the southwest of the U.S. and a lot of cities in Mexico like Monterrey, they rely on imported water. You know, Southern California gets most of its water from Northern California and the Colorado River. It's in a similar situation really with Monterrey. So these cities that have grown so much are really having to figure out how to learn to live with less water because that's going to be the future. Like they will simply be receiving less water. It's interesting that you mentioned, Kate, that like the city of Monterrey, the people you talk to, they're like not ready for this future with less water. Because if you talk to the people in the rural areas, that's just a part of life. Like where my parents are from in Zacatecas, from these two little villages, 
You didn't get water all the time, even though there's a dam there, a presa that holds a reservoir. Like the poor people, they know like water, you have to ration it all the time. But it seems like these richer cities are like, oh, no, there's going to be water all the time for all of us. Yeah, you're totally right. Water has never been a given, particularly in poor parts of Mexico. According to like census data, around half of Mexican households who have access to piped water get water on an intermittent basis already. And even in Mexico City, where I live, which is this rainy, lush city, we have occasionally cuts in service because there aren't proper water catchment systems and we're draining the aquifer. So this is a a nationwide problem in a way, getting these water distribution systems really up to speed, kind of balancing that with the needs of manufacturing and industry which in Monterrey and so many other places is rather unregulated because they drill these private wells and there isn't a ton of oversight about how much water they're taking, how much water they're actually using. So that's this other big issue here is there's a lot of unregulated water use. There's also a lot of water theft that we see in Monterrey, for example. And that's one thing that authorities are trying to do now is find these places where people are stealing water from pipes or have illegal wells That's also a very prevalent problem here. This is not a new problem for this city. In the 70s and 80s, they had another water crisis and people revolted just like they are now. Um, It was particularly led by women who, as I saw in the last few days, are really the ones who are really kind of bearing the burden here because they're often the ones in charge of the house and without water, they really can't do anything. So you had this protest movement forming like in the late 70s and 80s, and they actually were able to get some changes made in Monterrey. They literally helped spur the government to build another dam. They helped spur the government to pipe in water to more houses on the periphery. But the problem is the effects of that protest movement, I think, were short-lived. The officials in Monterrey put their heads in the sand for a couple of decades and hoped this problem would go away until this summer when it reared its head again and they're really confronted with this crisis. After the break, how the crisis in Monterrey is a stark warning for the rest of Mexico and the American West. Kate, it's easy to hear all of this that's happening in Mexico and think, oh, well, that's their problem. It's not going to affect us. But as you've been mentioning earlier, Mother Nature doesn't care about borders. Right. You know, there are a lot of people who see the crisis in Monterrey as this very clear warning for the United States and particularly Southern California. Southern California cities import about 55 percent of their water from the Colorado River and from Northern California. They've already been forced to reduce water usage and now face the prospect of further cuts because drought is really draining the Colorado River and there's this federal pressure on Southern California to start taking less water. So California, particularly Southern California, is having to figure out how can we live with less water? And that's the exact same thing that's happening in Monterrey. What we're seeing in Monterrey is really a kind of a surreal scene, right? This like incredibly modern city with gleaming office towers and like literally a Maserati dealership. This is a wealthy LA-like city 
where literally the traps have just run dry and people are hauling water from wells. So it's kind of the worst case scenario for a place like LA. But if Southern California can't figure out like how to make do with less water, it could be the future. Okay, as you left Monterrey, what struck you about what they're facing like right now? Not like years down the line or whatever, but literally the right now of it. Yeah, I mean, I just really remember the people that I spoke to who are suffering. I think about one woman, Nora Diaz, who lives in this very humble community on the periphery of the city. You know, it had been like three days since they had had running water and they were waiting for this giant tanker truck to pull up. It finally did. And just the whole community came out with buckets and water bottles, just filling up water and then hauling it back home. And she just talked about kind of how this has affected her life and it's affected everything. You know, she wakes up early in the morning at like 3 a.m. to see if the taps will turn on. Usually they don't. She goes off to work at like 6 a.m. to work in a factory and she's dirty. You know, her hair is greasy. She hasn't been able to bathe. She works all day and in the factory, of course, there is water because of these private wells. And then she comes home back to her house where the taps are dry and has to think about cooking food for her children. And to do that, the only way they can really do that is by going to the store and buying really expensive bottled water, which someone making $10 a day in a factory, bottled water is a total luxury. And I just remember something she said, which is, There have been times when she's so thirsty and there's no water to drink. Uh So she relies on drinking her own saliva. Uh Mm -hmm. I think that's an example of how just incredibly difficult and really inhumane this kind of crisis has been. Kate, thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you so much. And that's it for this episode of The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Shannon Lynn was a hef on this episode and Mario Diaz mixed and mastered it. Our show is produced by Shannon Lynn, Denise Guerra, Kasha Brasali, and David Toledo and Ashley Brown. Our editorial assistants are Madeline Amato and Carlos de Loera. Our intern is Surya Hendry. Our engineers are Mario Diaz, Mark Nieto, and Mike Kathleen. Our editor is Kinsey Moreland. Our executive producers are Hasmin Aguilera and Shani Hilton. And our theme music is by Andrew Eatman. I'm Gustavo Ariano. We'll be back tomorrow with all the news in this month. Gracias.